The reading today is from John chapter 17, verses 24 to 26, and can be found in page 1085 of the Church Bibles. So that's John 17, verse 24 to 26. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Now is the time, though, to, to grab a Bible. And uh, we've got loads of these uh, Turquoise Church Bibles. Uh, we're on page 1085. If you, by the way, don't have a Bible of your own, then you are welcome to take the Bible in front of you and ha- write your name in it, and that's yours. Um, uh, if you do have one, don't do that. But if you don't, then please take one. And we'd love to give it to you as a gift from our church uh, to you. His, the source of life uh, is found here, and uh, we can't encourage you to read the Bible enough. Uh, we're on page 1085, it's John 17, and the last few verses of the chapter, which we've been looking at for the last month or so. The names Jim Redmond and Alistair Brownlee will forever be remembered by fans of athletics, but their acts of courageous, sacrificial love will surely be remembered by anyone and uh, many, many more people than simple fans of athletics. Jim Redmond was the father of Derek Redmond, who in 1991 was part of the gold medal winning 4 by 400 metre athletes at the uh, 1991 World Championships. He was uh, one of the favourites for a medal in the 92 Barcelona Olympics, one of the early Olympics I remember. And anyway, in the semi-final, he had uh, qualified the fastest of all uh, competitors in the quarter-final. Semi-final, Shoots out of the box, doing really, really well. And then about a third of the way through the race, with 250 metres to go, he suddenly pulled up and fell to the floor in absolute agony. And his hamstring had gone. But rather than just uh, lie on the floor or, or um, kind of slink off the side or the cameras panned round to the, the finishing race, a man climbed down from the stands and onto the pitch, fought his way past the... The, uh, the referees who are racing, uh, guarding the race, and uh, put his arm under Derek Redmond and uh, helped him complete the race. And this man was Jim Redmond, Derek Redmond's father. And uh, maybe you uh, don't remember that, but you've seen that on Question of Sport, perhaps, and you've heard of the event. It was an amazing exhibition of love. What a father, what a love, demonstrated by Jim Redmond. Roll the clock to September 2016, and the triathlete Johnny Brownlee was in the first place in a triathlon, the world triathlon final in Cozumel in Mexico. He dominated the race in the start. Half a mile to go, it's baking heat, and the heat is playing with his mind. He starts to lose it in his head, his eyes glaze over, he starts wobbling around, and stumbles to the side of the track. Uh, Meanwhile, his elder brother, Alistair Brownlee, is uh, just behind him and uh, is about to win a silver medal and slows down and puts his arm around Johnny, lifts Johnny up onto his shoulder 
and uh, helps Johnny complete the race. Meanwhile, a third competitor overtakes them both and wins gold, and Johnny and Alistair cross the line together. What a brother! What a sacrifice, giving up the chance to win gold! What a love. Today, we're thinking about finishing well. Uh, maybe this is your first time here at Highfield Church. I keep meeting people who are first-timers, but we're thinking today about finishing well. How confident are you that you will finish well? There were lots of different analogies for the Christian faith. Johnny Thomas has talked about the fight that we're in. Uh, sometimes uh, the Bible talks about uh, being a Christian as like someone who's growing, or a farm that's growing and fields and crops. Another very popular analogy is a race that has been marked out for us. And how confident are you that you will finish it well? Because there's every reason to struggle with confidence. Uh, There are lots of temptations around us that seek to pull us off the track and uh, cause us to drop our heads. There are distractions, maybe in our hearts, things that jump up and cause us to think, maybe I won't carry on. Maybe there are doubts. We've read a book. We've uh, listened to a podcast. We've watched some YouTubes and gone down a rabbit hole and it's completely knocked our faith. Maybe there are pressures. You're the only Christian in your halls, the only Christian in your family. Maybe the only Christian that you really know and friends have died off and you're standing firm and you're feeling alone but you feel the pressure. Maybe there are issues to do with fear. There's... Who knows what's going to happen next week, let alone next year. And uh, family matters concern you, decisions that are looming. Maybe there's some health concerns are rumbling around. Maybe some anxieties bubbling along and there are uncertainties that are just there. And we feel, will we really finish the race that's been marked out for us well? Or are we going to do a Johnny Brownlee or a Derek Redmond? Well, Our passage today is going to assure us, I hope and I pray, that the triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, is utterly committed to your finishing well. The triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, utterly committed to your finishing well. That's the big message of today's passage. We're going to see it from John 17, these last three verses. Uh, We've been studying these verses over the last month or so. It's what we've called the greatest prayer. It's an inspiring prayer. Jesus is praying it the night before he dies on the cross. He's about to go and suffer unbearable agony, leaving his family spiritually behind. And yet rather than moping and complaining about it, he spends the time praying. He prays in verses 1 to 5 for himself that God would be glorified in him as he completes the mission that God has sent him to do, which is to go and save the people that before the beginning of time, God the Father had given to God the Son. Here, here's the people, go save them. And so Jesus is there on earth, praying that God would be glorified as he goes ahead and saves those people. That's in verses 1 to 5. Verses 6 to 19, he prays for the disciples who are around him at the time. There are 11 of them at that point because Judas has already left to go betray Jesus. 11 left behind and Jesus is praying for them that the Father would protect them, that God's word would dwell in them 
and that they would learn how to navigate the challenge of being in the world, but not of the world. And we saw that a few weeks ago, if you were here at our all-age service. And, and that is a really challenging way to live, isn't it? Being in the world and not of the world. And that's where the fight is. You know, there's no fight if you live in the world and are of the world. The person just kind of floats along with the current of everyone else. Their values, their priorities, their mindsets, their dreams, their desire. You know, there's no fight there. It's just float along. Or, or the person who's kind of up there on the second cloud on the right, you know, just completely withdrawn from the world. There's no fight there. They're just kind of in their little kind of bubble. But if you're properly in the world, but probably not of the world at all, you're, you're seeking to be distinct and set apart. That's a challenge. It's a fight. It's a race ahead of you. But we've been given his word, which sets us apart and, and guides us in what we need to do. That's what we've been seeing. And then last week... Uh, John helpfully started off this section, 20 to 26. Last week we saw the prayer that Jesus prays for people who would believe in him through the witness of those who saw him, which I take it is the vast majority of us. Not all of us. There'll be people here today, I'm sure, who don't yet follow Jesus. It's lovely that you're here. And uh, whether you know you don't or you're not sure where you stand with God, I'm so glad you are here. Please keep coming. And uh, why not ask God, when you, when you turn up on a Sunday, God, if you're there, please show me. And he loves to answer that prayer. And uh, just as we sit and listen together now, as you eavesdrop Jesus praying for those who are following him, this would give you, I hope, a bit of an insight into what it might look like for you to put your trust in Jesus uh, for yourself. And so he, he prayed, he's praying for those of us who've trusted in Jesus on the basis of what they've said, and particularly that we'd be united, we'd be one, just as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. An amazing prayer. Anyway, today we're in verses 24 to 26. I'm going to read these words again because it's so short. Let me read these words, listen in closely. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because... You love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I may, myself may be in them. We're going to see three truths from Jesus that if we grasp them and if the truths really grasped us, I'm sure would lift our heads and would strengthen our knees as we keep on running the race for him. If these truths really gripped us, and uh, we really gripped them. And uh, let me just stick those truths out there. The three truths we're going to see today are the gift of knowledge, the assurance of love, and the promise of glory. And we're going to work through those very briefly. Okay, so that's our little structure. Here's our first point, the gift of knowledge. A wonderful truth that Jesus is going to explain now. Now, I should say, I said this a few weeks ago, I've been helped very much by uh, the American... Pastor and author Bobby Jameson, who's clarified some of my thinking in uh, this, uh, this study. Also, just to say that we're not going to work through these points chronologically, and uh, you know, they, they don't flow exactly down the passage, but they, they come to us in a certain order. So the first thing we get is this gift of knowledge, then we get the assurance of love, and then finally we get the promise of glory. So we're, we're, we're flowing with it in relation to when we receive these blessings, not in the order which they're written in the passage. I hope that's okay. Okay, so here's our first point. The gift of knowledge. Look down to verse 25. In the middle of our passage, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, 
I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I've made you, literally your name, known to them, and I will continue to make you known. Now, throughout this prayer, and in this part of the prayer, Jesus has been drawing a distinction between two groups of people. What he refers to as the world, on the one hand, and them, or my people, on the other hand. The world, that's not the planet, the world, the planet Earth, David Attenborough kind of stuff. That's not the world in its bigness, it's the world in its badness. It's people who've turned their backs on God. The natural state of all human beings when we're born. And then on the other hand, there is them, or my people, those who have trusted in Jesus through the message of the apostles. Now we may feel oh, a bit squeamish and a bit awkward about Jesus being so discriminating between these two groups of people, the world over here and then his people over here. But if we do feel a bit squeamish about that level of, kind of discrimination or this, the articulation of these two groups of people, all we need to do, honestly, is open our eyes and think about the wider world that we live in. Because Jesus said, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, pause, and just think about out there, in the, in the wider world, outside of you know, planet church, planet Sundays, when everyone is all, we all know each other and it all feels like this is, makes total sense. Out there, on Monday, people have no idea what's going on. They, 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 they don't know God. Not interested, many of them. Friends who we just long that would, they would come along to an event or long for, for you to do a little Bible study. Just could not care less. And that is no problem on God's side. It's no fault in God that they don't know God. It's, it's, it's on our side. Romans chapter 1, verses 20 to 21 make it crystal clear. Quotes, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So you look around the world, it's crying out. And how glorious and wonderful and majestic and powerful God is. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So since chapter 3 of the Bible, everyone by nature just ignore God. We, we, We don't know God relationally anymore. We've turned our backs on God, and to, to quote the 5th century theologian Augustine, we've, we live our lives curved in on ourselves. You know, we, we're not curved outwards towards God, we're just curved inwards, away from him, worshipping created things rather than the creator. And that's what every one of us naturally is like. The world doesn't know God, verse 25, but though the world doesn't know you, I know you. This is Jesus speaking of his Father, and they, which is speaking of all Christians, know that you have sent me. Let's try and understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying, the world doesn't know you, Father, but I do. I, as the Son, have supreme, exhaustive, perfect knowledge of the Father. He knows God perfectly. That's how it works with a father-son relationship. Say you come up to me and you say, hey Dave, I know your dad. He's a six foot tall, blonde, always talking about himself and really into the music of Taylor Swift. And you come up to me and tell me this stuff. I'm like, well, let me just correct you for a moment because I know my dad and he's, um, uh, you know, I'm in a unique position to falsify or verify any claims about the father because I am the son and he's actually five foot five and he's a dark hair 
And he's not always talking about himself. He's always talking about Jesus uh, with people who don't know Jesus. And he has probably never heard any music by Taylor Swift, but loves Ella Fitzgerald, the jazz musician. So there we are. And uh, that's my... I'm in a position to explain that because I am the son. I have that unique privilege. And uh, you, you get to know me, I get to fill you in on my father. Well, so too, uh, you get to know Jesus, he gets to fill you in on his father. And to be filled in about God the Father, wow, that is the, the greatest treasure in all the world. It's the most wonderful thing to be filled in, to be told, and to know about God the Father. He knows the Father and he's making him known to us. Since the fall, sin and death and ignorance about God have locked us out of God's life and his love and his light. But Jesus came to unlock the prison. He came to make God known, to share his love, to bring his life, to shine his light into our darkness so that where once we were blind, John 11, we can now see. We often treat knowledge as a means to an end, don't we? We're quite utilitarian in the way we think about knowledge in our culture today. In education, we work hard at at this particular school to get into a good high school. And in high school, maybe we work really, really hard to get into a good university or to get a good job. And then maybe if we get to university, we work really, really hard to get a good graduate job or work hard at work. We go up the ladder and you work, learn to get onto the next stage. And at that stage, knowledge is always a key to unlock bigger and better things for us. That's how we think of knowledge. But knowledge of God isn't a means to an end. It is the end. It's the goal, to know God and be known by him. He is that wonderful, that glorious. Knowledge of God is, is a means to joy in God, to, to loving God, to worshipping God, to getting to know him better, to getting more of God. We know God to know God better. And the journey continues. Have a look in verse 26. I have made you known to them. It's the gift of knowledge. But it continues, and will continue to make you know. That's a stunning verse, isn't it? Jesus is about to go back to his father. That's not the end of getting to know God. Oh, rats, he's gone. There it goes. We can't do any more getting to know God. No, I think he's referring to the gift of the Holy Spirit, who the Father and the Son have sent and given to us, that we might know God more and deeper. And these truths which we read about in the Bible would become personal to us. In our hearts, in our minds. So friends, if you trust in Jesus Christ, you are not today what you once were. Your past blindness doesn't control you anymore. It needn't. God has flooded your past with light and the knowledge of himself. He'll never turn off that light. You're in the light now, not in the darkness anymore. Picking up the theme we saw a few weeks ago, knowing God is the greatest privilege in the world. And it compensates for any single thing you lack. Let me say that again. Knowing God is the greatest privilege in the world and it compensates for any single thing you lack. We, We have the phrase, don't we? It's not what you know, it's who you know. And that is a bit of a cynical phrase a lot of the time. People th- say it when they're talking about jobs going up for grabs in the workplace. Oh, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Or maybe even when 
families are trying to apply for their kids to go to high school. Oh, it's not what you know, it's who you know, or university face, it's not what you know, who you know. <laughs> John 17 is telling us, the maker of the universe has given us his card. And uh, when he says, call me any time, he really means it. bewildering. You have his contact, it means no matter whose contact you lack, you have his. Listen to Bobby Jameson. The knowledge of God is an unsurpassable blessing. The knowledge of God frees you from self-delusions. The knowledge of God releases you from sin's grip in order to live in line with reality. The knowledge of God lifts the blinders of our self-interest. The knowledge of God is the best ambition you can strive for in your life. So can I challenge you, friends, uh, this morning, will you devote yourselves to getting to know God more this year? Not knowing about him, but knowing him personally. We saw this a few weeks ago. I waved around the book Knowing God. That would be an excellent book. I've already had people come and tell me they're starting reading it uh, this year to get into knowing God more. What a great book that would be. We've got some other books downstairs on the bookstall. Here's a couple that I've pulled out. One, Ten Words to Live By as We Get to Know God Through His Word by Jen Wilkin. Delighting in and doing what he commands. And then this one, Tim Chester, Into His Presence, Praying with the Puritans. Taking some some old prayers, 16th century, 17th century prayers, and using them to inspire our knowledge of God and our delight in him. Friends, as we think about the future, we may be fearful. We may think, crumbs, you know, I'm worried I'm going to do a Johnny Brownlee. I'm worried I'm going to do a Derek Redmond, shoot out of the blocks, yes, full of energy, and then stumble on the home straight. Friends, you can be absolutely confident that whatever this year gives or takes from you, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, then you will get to know God more this year. Whatever happens, you will. I will continue to make you known. What a lovely line. As you keep swimming in the bottomless pool of knowledge of God, you'll never get to the bottom of it. You'll never be exhausted. As you keep climbing the mountain of knowing God, you'll never reach the summit. It's so much greater. There's always more to know. You'll never be bored. Set that a project this year. The gift of knowledge. First truth to keep us pressing on. The gift of knowledge. Second truth, the assurance of love. The assurance of love. Let's uh, continue from verse 26 and see why Jesus is so committed to giving his people knowledge of the Son. So verse 26, I have made you known to them, past tense, will continue to make you known, present and future tense, in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I may self Maybe in them. We touched on this a little bit last week. Let's dive a bit deeper. The reason the Father keeps revealing, sorry, the reason Jesus keeps revealing the Father to us by his Spirit, even when he's gone back to heaven and to glory, is that so that the love, in order that the love you have for me, the love that the Father has for Jesus, may be in us. Indeed, And that I myself, I, Jesus, may be in them. Wow, the gospel puts the creator of the universe into you and into me if we trust in him. Can you you fathom that? To have a personal, intimate, love, relationship 
the deepest knowledge of anyone anywhere, with him. The love the Father has for Jesus may be... These are incredible words. What is this love? Well, let's go back to verse 24. We get a little bit of an insight into what this love is like. So he's going to... He says, I've made you known that the love you have for me may be in them. What is that love? The love that the Father has for the Son. Verse 24. I want those you've given me to be where I am and see my glory. The glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. So here we are. We're back before eternity passed. Before creation, okay? Before year dot. God the Father loving God the Son eternally in the joy of the Holy Spirit. This is the doctrine of the Trinity. What a beautiful set of truth we've been singing about it the fount of goodness beauty and love father pouring his love on his son in the joy of the spirit and in the gospel that love that wonderful relationship not only does that love send jesus to earth to rescue a people for god not only does it do that but in the gospel that love itself is given to us and jesus is given to us he doesn't simply save us He comes to us. He lives with us. He lives in us. By God's grace, the the gospel draws us into a love relationship, the relationship between the Father and the Son. Can you fathom that, friends? You are deeply, deeply loved. As the Father loves the Son, so you can know that love too. And access to the throne of grace. We've already heard that it's uh, 80 years since D-Day. It's also 60 years, just last year, since the death of John F. Kennedy, the former president of the United States. And the um, most powerful man in the world held all the leaves of power. And uh, there's a photograph that was taken of JFK a month before he died. And it is a beautiful picture of access. Here it is. There's JFK, the president at the desk. And there's his son, JFK Jr., sitting underneath the the uh, resolute desk and at this point I was going to bring out my son Noah from underneath the pulpit who's been quietly sitting here but he would never have been able to do that for 20 minutes so he's in Sunday school already but what a beautiful picture of access that is this is the the, the most powerful man in the world and a, a child can just sit there at his feet playing hide and seek with daddy In the gospel, we have this level of intimacy with our Father in heaven, the creator of the universe. We can know him. We can be drawn into this relationship as a father to a son. We can know him. And knowing this truth, grasping this truth, this truth, grasping us, friends, will change everything. God's love in our souls is like an active ingredient that can't sit quiet. Think of an active ingredient when you're baking. If you put the active ingredient yeast in flour and some butter and some water and a bit of salt. You leave it. It can't help but do the work. You come back after about an hour or so in the warmth and it's just grown. It just, it does its thing and life is growing and something fresh and fruitful is is coming before our eyes. Well, so too. God's love is an active ingredient. If it's truly embedded in our hearts, if God has really planted his love in us, it can't help but renew in us a commitment to love others and to forgive others when they let us down. God's love in our hearts awakens longings to witness where once we would have hidden away. God's love in our hearts jumpstarts any desires that we may have to serve God and have gone a bit flat 
when God's love is truly in our hearts, we think, oh, I've, been, I've been loved from eternity. I don't deserve it. But God's love in our hearts realigns our affections so that what's sinful appears dull and what's beautiful in Jesus appears bright and glorious. Friends, John 17 is teaching us that before you ever did anything for Jesus Christ, God loved you. Do you believe that? Before you did anything for Jesus Christ, God loved you. And it's not that he was there in, before creating the world with his telescope, pulled it out, looked way into the future and said, aha, there's someone who has potential, I'm going to set my love on them in advance. No, he just, out of the goodness and the freedom of his own free heart, set his love on us. He gave the son a a group of people, we've referred to this before now, the Father gives the Son a group of people to save. The Son comes on a mission and dies on the cross to save. The Holy Spirit goes and embeds his life in people's hearts so that they believe and he saves. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That electing, saving, wondrous assurance of God's love secures us. There is nothing better than this, friends. Nothing better at all. So often we feel that our past might disqualify us. Our past has has let us down. We've done too much wrong. We we can't be loved by God. You don't know what I've done, Dave. You don't have a clue. You don't know what I regret, my shame, my fears. You don't know it. You don't understand. You don't know what people have done to me. Correct, I don't know that. But if you think your past makes you unlovable by God... John 17 says, and God says, look further back. You think your past makes you unlovable by God? God says to you, look further back. Because before I created the world, I set my love on you. Nothing good in you loved before the dawn of time. So that truth, friends, will that grip you? And will that lift you? And will that lift your head and strengthen your knees as you keep on running? I am loved dearly, deeply, from before the dawn of time. I can press on another step. God's love predates our trials. It will outlive our fears. The gift of knowledge, the assurance of love. So the gift of knowledge, the assurance of love, we've seen point three very briefly, the promise of glory. Here we go, verse 24. Back to the top of the passage. Little number 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Here Jesus concluding, and now the focus is on the future solid. He wants us to be with him. And uh, he's been talking about his departure. He said in chapter 14, verse 3, I'm going and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I do, I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. And this is the promise that when we die, which we will. Unless Christ returns before then, we will die one day and uh, we will be welcomed into glory. I want those you've given me to be with me where I am. I want this, Father. And to see my glory, the glory you've given me before, because you loved me before the creation of the Lord. Jesus praying that the disciples and us Christian believers, if we're following him, would see the glory Jesus was given before creating the world. He, he laid aside so much of that glory when he came to earth. It was not 
given the honour. His disciples at the time you know, saw his miracles and that revealed his glory, but the vast majority of the world didn't see his glory. They saw someone who was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Soon he'll die on a cross, but he's praying that all of those who followed him would one day see him in his majesty back in heaven and then eventually in the new creation as he restores all things. And the sight of a saviour on that day, friends, will take any and every pain away. Any memory of a pain will just be wiped out. You, You sit here and you feel, I've experienced loss, I've experienced illness, I've experienced doubt, I've experienced betrayal, I've experienced despair, mental health, crises. One look at Jesus then. Outweigh it all. The light of his glory will just wash through as we see him for who he is. Psalm 16, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. We're thinking about the future, friends. So much of our lives, we're either pretending that the reality of death isn't coming towards us, or maybe we're spending our days very concerned of the reality of death coming towards us. But either way... One look on Jesus' face and it will be all a very different story. We will see his face forever. Question, if you're a Christian believer here today, what is the longest lasting glory that you have so far ever experienced? Something that's just magnificent and glorious and just spellbinding. Maybe you went on an amazing holiday and it just blew your mind. You can just remember seeing those beautiful things. Maybe you... You once saw a beautiful piece of artwork and it was glorious and magnificent. Or maybe you produced a piece of artwork and you're like, yes, look at this, what I've done. Maybe you can remember a time in the past, maybe you graduated from university despite the odds and you made it. Or maybe you uh, look back and you think of a time when something fantastic happened. Maybe you, you got that job or you paid off your mortgage or you had a first child or gave your daughter away, whatever it may be, the things that, yes, this is an amazing thing. And they're all in the rearview mirror. And they're great glories, but they're past glories and they seem a distant memory now. The glory days back then. Often people talk that way, don't they? All the glory days back then. Maybe my health was so much better in yesteryear and I could, I could run much faster than the others or I could tackle or I could play sport without aching or... My mind was where I wanted it to be. I could remember things. I wasn't confused. And the glory days in the past. Friends, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the glory days are yet to come. Your best days haven't been. They are still in the front. Not in the rear view mirror, but right ahead. So can I urge you to devote yourself to gazing on the glory of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful, marvellous saviour he is. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil that covers their hearts and their minds is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. One author, someone called Gregory Beale, wrote a book called You Become What You Worship. And what you set your heart to 
and where you lay your gaze and your longing, that just makes you become like it. Maybe it's, it's a cooking, maybe it's gardening, maybe it's study, maybe it's sport, maybe it's music, maybe it's getting stuff. You, you, you think about it, you long for it, you just become more like it. Set your eyes, set your gaze on Jesus Christ. And he'll transform you into his glorious presence one day. The glorious seeing Christ face to face is the only answer to death's cold stare. Death is an enemy. It's a brutal enemy. But it is also simply a butler. Admitting us to the Father's house where there are many rooms. And it's God alone who rings the bell. Death takes us away from those we love. But it takes us to the one who loves us and has loved us from eternity. 1 John 3, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Friends, we've seen three truths that Jesus offers us as we continue the race of life. You may be feeling like Derek Redmond, the injury's coming, I can't finish the race. Johnny Brandy, the pressure's on, the heat bearing down. I can't finish the race, I'm spinning. But friends, you have a father who puts his arm around you and lifts you up and says, we're going. You have a big brother, Jesus Christ, who puts his arm under you and says, you're not stopping, we're keeping going. We're pressing on. Here, know my gift of knowledge. You may know me. Here, have my gift of love. This assurance of love. I love you. You cannot be more loved. Here, have this promise of glory. One day awaiting. Press on for one more day. Though the dark is overwhelming and the brightest lights grow dim. Though the word of God is trampled on by foolish men. Though the wicked never stumble and abound in every place, we will all be humbled when we see your face. And the demons we've been fighting, those without and those within, will be underneath our feet to never rise again. All our sins will be behind us, through the blood of Christ erased, and will taste your kindness when we see your face. Let's have a moment of quiet. Then I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for these wonderful truths that the Lord Jesus revealed to us. We thank you so much that you have given to us knowledge of yourself. Forgive us for so often being concerned about many things other than knowing you. Help us to devote ourselves to knowing you, to growing in our relationship with you this year. We thank you so much, Lord God, for the assurance of your love that just as the Father loves the Son, so we can receive that love too, be drawn into your relationship. Lord, what a precious gift that is. We can never be too unlovely. Our past will never disqualify us. 
You've loved us before our past began. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for the promise of glory. Thank you, Lord, for the the promise of seeing you one day. Please help us to press on. Help us, Lord, to run with perseverance this race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you promise to sustain us. Help us to press on, we pray, until we see you face to face. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.